Hello and welcome to Audio Mission from CMS, the Church Mission Society, for October 2014. I'm Trevor Smith, and for the next 20 minutes or so, I'll bring you interviews with CMS people in mission on three continents, all with something to say to shed light on this month's theme of community mission. Hope grows. What a great phrase, thought up by one of the young people who helped mission partners Anna and Chris Hembry transform a patch of waste ground in Hull into a community garden. It became the name for the project. You may have seen the Hembrys in the Breakfast Club they run on a Channel 4 documentary earlier this year. They told Jeremy Woodham more about the garden project and about another initiative, Orts. The garden's been a dream for many years, really. A bit of wasteland behind the parish hall where we do the youth work and overgrown with sort of eight, ten foot of brambles. And uh, it really is, it's, you know, been trying to find the idea you know what would we do with it and and i think in in the present climate the whole kind of idea of living better for less has really motivated people into uh growing their own uh food you know and veg obviously um so we've seen it as an opportunity now to turn that bit of wasteland into something uh, that wasn't just about growing veg but would become a bit of a garden, a place where people could come and grow stuff, uh, learn to grow things, uh, tend the garden, but also just to kind of hang out as families and things. As uh, it, we've got a, we've sown some uh, a lawn and everything, so people can come out and just you know hang out on the lawn, and uh, we're going to have a, a barbecues there, so we can we can food and have a real community day. So it's much bigger than just the kind of growing things. It, it's it's going to be a kind of community garden where we can do lots of other things as well. And you really got people from the community involved in transforming the space? Yeah, you know, people off our street, people, you know, parents and families from the breakfast club, young people from the youth club, everybody's been involved in that and it, it, it's needed that because it, it, it's quite a big space and it's taken a, a lot of hard work, you know, hours and hours of... Um, digging and sieving and weeding and uh, chopping back and everything and building things and you know it's it's been a big workforce really and but those times of kind of coming together has just been fantastic and everybody always enjoys it and they're always like oh tell us when the next gardening day is we you know we really want to come along and everything you know so people are really keen to be involved i've heard you uh, talk a lot about uh, people coming together why is that so important in the community where you are I think the community where we are in, in some senses it's an area that's been known for its sense of community it was part of the old um, fishing community and uh, people often talk fondly about uh, you know being able to leave their doors open and everyone looking out for each other but actually in reality, in many ways, the areas changed, the demographics changed a lot, and people come and go partly because of the way that uh, roads have been de- designed or housing's been knocked down. It's, it's a community that's been fragmented in lots of ways. So that combined, I think, with a, a sense of isolation in society, a sense of feeling that you're meant to be doing better than you are and coping on your own and that sort of thing and feeling like you failed at that I think has meant that people are actually uh, feel very alone and and don't know where to get support 
and I think the breakfast club and the gardening and all the things that have spun out of those things have meant that people have found connections with other people even with people who they knew anyway or sat next to every day at breakfast club people are starting to look out for each other support each other um, find their own strengths and solutions within the community of the breakfast club I think and you've been involved in a in another project by believe you don't like to call it a project <laughs> yeah. called Orts, going to try not to use a rather a strange word people might not have heard of what is orts the word orts is an old english word meaning waste scraps so either of food or more commonly now of threads and waste scraps from sewing the thing that we're not going to call a project um it's called Orts partly because we're working with material and stuff that's all donated that would otherwise be thrown away, but also because a lot of the people that we support are people who kind of see themselves as the waste scraps of society, people who are not fit for anything other than to be thrown away. And with both the people and the material, we hope that this is going to be a transformative space so people will find beauty in and create beauty out of what would otherwise have been stuff that was only discarded and I think people particularly need to feel that they're you know they need to know how treasured they are really by God that they're not um, God has no intention of discarding them but actually within them they have a lot of potential for being something more beautiful so who meets there tell us a little bit about the the people that come? We've got people from all walks of life. Um, my friend Leanne and myself loosely run it. We invite people to come and share skill if they know how to sew or knit or crochet or even other things that we haven't yet thought of. Um, they come and share and uh, we invite people to come and learn how to do stuff. So we make no distinction really between where people have come from or what they're there to do and Often we find that people who've come to share a skill find that they get so much more out of it in terms of the just the sense of community and the stories that are shared there. And people who felt that they had no place in society or in the more mainstream sense of society that um, find acceptance and find that they often have stuff to teach or to encourage someone else with who might be from a much more affluent area of Hull. I guess for the garden, pray that we don't kill the things that we've planted, <laughs> firstly. <laughs> but also, more generally, that um, that the people who've come and got involved will you know, increasingly just feel it's part of what they do and, and own it, and that we'll be able to eat some of our produce <laughs> um, later on in the year. It'd be really nice to think of it as a kind of Garden of Eden, you know, this kind of beautiful space in the community uh, where they can come and, I don't know, just come and get refreshed, really, and feel blessed by the space and that they would then uh, in some way relate that to God, you know, and then that um, through that God would uh, touch their lives and just keep bringing that hope you know that he can, that he brings to people so and i think for orts people just don't feel they have enough time you know they kind of want to be there more often at the minute we're sort of 
open it one day a week and we'd like to do more so just that we'd be able to that would be possible but we've already got more people wanting to come and spend time and volunteer and bring their skills so that's really positive mission partners anna and chris hembry sharing how hope is growing through their work in hull now to egypt where mission partners adol and claire shukrala are based Adol is the priest of a central Cairo church where he too is interested in growing an outward-focused missional community, as he told Jeremy Woodham on a visit to the CMS office in Oxford. He started by sharing the next chapter in the story of refugees from Syria who had come to the church and been baptised there. We found uh, two Syrian uh, wives with uh, Egyptian husband. They came and uh, one of these families just came from Syria, losing everything and uh, just came to our church and actually with some help, uh, debriefing and all these things. So, and then they stuck with us. They loved our community and they felt welcoming and uh, they want to baptize their children and here we baptized them. And uh, But still their heart in Syria and with the Syrian refugees, lots of them coming to Egypt, uh, I think they give us the, a new eyes to look to these refugees in different way. And I think we all what we do is uh, we trying to enable uh, those family to follow their hearts and uh, to give us uh, a passion uh, toward uh, all the refugees, Syrian refugees coming to Egypt. So they had a, a dream to to reach out to Syrian refugees. Has that been able to be put into practice? Uh, there is two things. Uh, the man, uh, the family, uh, now enabled by the diocese to use uh, one of the social centre building in uh, area where all the refugees, uh, Syrian refugees, came and stayed. And uh, last Mothering Day, Mother Day, which is twenty first of March in Egypt, uh, they make like a big uh, uh, celebration welcoming all the Syrian mothers to come and just give them dignity and thanksgiving and uh, and this was amazing uh, initial contact with uh, Syrian. Second thing is uh, all the Syrian refugees now helped by the UN and the UN using the cathedral uh, venue in terms of renting offices and stuff like that. So just to give some coffee and tea and to chat with those people, listen to their story. It's another uh, uh, kind of a practical ministry happening now. Now, I believe you have a Bible study group as well on a Thursday evening, is that right? Yes, uh, uh, it is called Around the Bible. And uh, again, the idea came about uh, from this same idea. God is a community and uh, we are toward Christian missional community. Uh, so Christian is our identity and we have to build our identity well by gathering around the Bible. Are there any stories from that? What have, how have people uh, found it? What's been happening in that group? Actually, it's, uh, yeah, it's just uh, we're trying to keep it organic in terms of meeting, eating with each other, then uh, study the Bible. But a lot of discussion came with a lot of challenges and many of these challenges how we go out to the community and uh, funny enough when the Syrian family were thinking to host this uh, big group of Syrian mothers to celebrate with them they need a lot of hands to prepare and the people who stand and say yeah we're ready or the people who were in these groups because they already eager to do something in terms of mission, in terms of going out themselves, out their building uh, to do something. 
I wonder, is there are there one or two specific examples you can call to mind? That yeah, for example, one of the ladies who attended with us, she's working with in a shop, and uh, she uh, started a long conversation with a Muslim guy about God and generally about God and uh, how we, because in uh, for the Muslim guy, his God is a one you cannot make a relationship with him just to obey him, but you, it's far to make relationship with him. But she kept insisting. Uh, I, I love God and he loved me and this is a relationship so small like that and she came actually to me as a as a priest and she shared with me about that and the guy wanted to come to hear more about God uh, God which she introduced so actually this is just this a story uh, shows that I cannot reach this guy but she can because it's, it's just in the working with her and how easy is it to be a Christian in Egypt right now yeah, I think uh, I think it is easy and uh, and difficult at the same time. I mean, if you're born a Christian in Egypt, you have some freedom to worship, but definitely you don't have a freedom to evangelize or to to do anything like that. Uh, but uh, what we discover is you don't need to title what you how you communicate with the people by evangelism or anything, just to relate to the people, like this lady in the shop with her colleague. So, yeah, there is a lot of restriction, uh, especially building churches. You are not allowed to build a church. You are not allowed to evangelize, to all the things. But uh, we thank God because we're better than other places. At least we can worship uh, inside our churches if we are born Christian. Now, what would you like people to pray for, especially in the coming months? I think mainly is uh, protection uh, for the churches because uh, the last year we saw a lot of uh, church burned and destroyed and a lot of violence against the churches. We hope this come to be less uh, the next time, but yeah, still there is a, a lot of sense of unsafety and uh, just uh, instability as well. So protection from... This is one of the requests. The other thing is uh, wisdom and discerning for the church. Because I feel in Egypt we have a new question. Uh, a lot of atheist movement happening now in, in Egypt, for example, which as a church in Egypt we didn't use to answer things about is God exist or not. But now we have to face it and you have to learn. Maybe you have to learn from the church in the West, about this, but also have to find a way to communicate God in in different way, in different expressions. So I think we need wisdom and we need discerning for that. Let's pray for Adol, his church, and the church throughout Egypt as they face up to new questions in mission. From San Diego via Colorado, and then his first two years studying English and Spanish at Oxford, Tyler Overton came to CMS for help with his year abroad. He spent it teaching English, half the year in Guatemala working for another NGO but with pastoral support from CMS, and then at St Paul's School in Viña del Mar. He's also been working as an intern for a month at the CMS offices, where Jeremy Woodham asked him about his experience. In Guatemala, I was in this, in this really isolated town. It was about an hour down a dirt road from the nearest highway, um, and just really quite poor and... Uh, yeah, it was hard work too because I I came in to work with this organization and they basically no English program set up. 
basically I arrived on a Thursday and I discovered that I had to teach on Tuesday. Um, and I also discovered that um, I had like no curriculum. <laughs> so I suddenly had to put together classes for Tuesday and it wasn't a single class either. I, I taught seven classes a day, Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, with about 20 kids, uh, ages 3 to 11. And then four classes on Saturday for the teenagers. And that was a nightmare, actually. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, yeah, they were just, like, not interested at all. But you found your feet. Yeah, clearly. yeah, yeah. Um, and it actually worked pretty well because I found that like uh, they hadn't had much experience with kind of, like, fun teaching strategies before. Like, it, it had mostly been, like, memorize this and memorize that so uh, i could gain some some traction that way chile after that it was, it was actually kind of a walk in the park and you were at the church the new church being planted by uh some cms mission partners daniel and Ezraine kirk yeah well they're very ambitious um so the church meets in a cafe um in uh, valparaiso and they're uh, but like despite the fact like uh, that the church is like probably about only 30 maybe 40 members uh, at this point um they're really intense on being missional um, so all the small groups there are called uh, comunidades misionales which is like missional communities they're also like dreaming big of like starting other churches and yeah um one thing i did appreciate and admire actually about that church is how focused they were on kind of well, fo- fo- focused outwards um, on kind of starting uh, new things and kind of inviting other people in. Hmm. Were you part of any of those missional communities? Yeah, I was. Um, it, it was really great, actually. Um, it was just really kind of kind people. So uh, I really did just love being part of that group. Like n- nothing kind of in particular, but it's just a very warm, loving place. I was also part of the Christian Union at the school I was working at, and that was great because although the school it kind of seeks to be a Christian place, um, it's yeah, it's kind of hard to separate the culture of Christianity Christianity there from like the living faith at times. So I was able to kind of encourage the Christian kids there um, and kind of hopefully help them see their faith as something meaningful and. Uh, not just kind of nerdy or, um, but yes, is it something worth investing in and, and yeah, re- really caring about. And what about your own faith in this time? I know there's uh, plenty of ups and downs. Yeah. Um, no doubt in both places there's going to be any any experience like this. As you reflect back, how do you see your own faith developing? Honestly, I haven't finished reflect- reflecting on the, on this year, but one thing I do know is that this was a really challenging year um, in a lot of respects. Um, uh, I really struggled in some ways in, in Guatemala. And one thing that was just really hard, too, was leaving behind friends in Oxford because it was, like, it was, probably, it was probably the closest group of friends I had ever had. And so just kind of like seeing like kind of life go on without me um, was tough. And I, and I had to really rely on God uh, in those moments and at the moment uh, I don't really have many kind of big conclusions about this um, I do think that God is going to use this for something but all I know like, is that it was, it was a pretty tough year and though I do think God showed up and uh, it was kind of a comfort and, and encouragement in that um, I'm still kind of 
figuring it, figuring out why all of the hardness, uh, the difficulty happened, and what God was kind of doing <laughs> in that. Please pray for Daniel and Ezalyn Kirk's church plant in Chile, and for Tyler as he figures out what mission is about back in this context, as well as studying for his finals. Also for his host family in Guatemala, who've been through a difficult time, and he says could really use some prayer. This season on Audio Mission, our final reflections come from our mission partners themselves. So as we continue to pray on what we've heard about community mission in Hull, in Cairo and in Valparaiso, let's listen to Chris Hembry introducing a particular Bible passage with deep meaning for him and Anna. This is some of the verses from Isaiah 58 and uh, we had them read out at our wedding so they were, they were always very special to us. But certainly... When you read the words in it, it just makes complete sense to the context that we're living in. Um, so they're, they're really special. They were special for our marriage, but also, I think, um, special for the community where we live. So this is Isaiah 58, verse 10 onwards. And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. That's all for this month on Audio Mission. Join us again for more voices from the front lines of God's mission around the world. Thank you for your prayers.